about three weeks ago, my wife and I went to the David Gray concert. Any of you go to that? Any of you like David Gray? Any of you know who David Gray is? Okay, a few of you. Um, love his music. And um, so we went to, it was at the Ryman, and we go to the Ryman, and we walk up the big steps, and there's the lady with, uh, you know, her hair sprayed hair. Uh, I mean, it's really up like three feet. And she's got the red jacket on, the Ryman jacket, and she's there, and she's smiling, and she takes my ticket, and she looks at me, and she looks at my ticket, and she goes, that will be an additional $20. I'm, I'm serious. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, there's an additional charge on tonight's show, and all ticket holders are required to pay an additional $10 per ticket. So for your two tickets, that would be $20. And she had a stack of 20s in her hand of people that had done it before. Well, I'm a David Gray fan, so I'm like, well, I could sit here and argue with that, or the show's about to start, and uh, okay, here's your $20. And she said, thank you. And then she goes, now you have to sing your favorite David Gray song. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, we decided that we only want devoted David Gray fans in the show tonight, so let's hear it. What's your favorite song? Do you know any of his songs? Do you know who David Gray is? So I start bellowing out, sail away with me. You heard that song? And started shaking the head like he does. If you, okay, if you haven't seen it, that made no sense to you. But if you're a great fan, you know what I'm talking about. How that guy does that and stays conscious, we don't know. Scientific wonder. So I bellowed out my song, and uh, at the end of all that, she said, Earl, over here in the corner, and there, I looked over, and there was this guy who looked like he was about 75 years old, and he had a big grin, and his hair was plastered to one side, and he had a barber chair in front of him, clippers, and he says, you have to shave your head to look like David Gray to go into the show. Now, you know, it's ridiculous, because if that happened to any of us, we'd have walked away and said, that's not fair, because I paid for the ticket, and because the ticket is paid, I should be allowed access into this show. I've paid what, what's required. Don't put all this extra stuff on me. And you know what's amazing about what we're going to be talking about is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus paid for everything. When we show up at the gates of the throne of God, there's not additional charges that God places on top of what Christ did for us. When Christ went to the cross and he died, on the cross he said, it is finished. It is done. So everything that we need as Christians has been accomplished for us by Jesus Christ. Now we could spend the next week unpacking all of that and unpacking all the promises that come from that. But here's what I want, to hear, I want you to hear today. Because we're about to talk about a truth that we're going to walk into. And that is, it, the gospel is not Jesus plus you going to church. That's not what makes God happy with you and pleased with you. It's not Jesus plus maybe you doing good works or going on a mission trip or maybe even quit smoking. That God's going to be more pleased with you if you quit smoking than if you smoke in church while you're on a mission trip doing good works, all right? Jesus finished it all. Everything that was required was accomplished by Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection for us to live a new life in Jesus Christ. My access to the throne of God is based on one thing and one thing only, and that's the work that was finished by Jesus Christ. That makes sense? Let me see if I can say that 20 more times. The reason I want to ask, I want to put that up before you, because we're going to be talking about prayer 
for the next uh, two months. And the question is, why do we pray? If Jesus completely accomplished everything, what's the purpose of me praying? I mean, God knows what he wants to do anyway, right? So what's the use of me taking time to pray to a God who says it's all been finished, I don't need to please him anymore, I don't need to do anything to make him more happy with me, there's nothing that I can do to cause him to love me any more than he already loves me now because I am in Christ and Christ is in good stead with the Father and now the Father looks at me and deals with me in the same way that he deals with his son, Jesus Christ, because I stand in the same place as Jesus. Really? Why do we pray? Last week, uh, downtown, we, and pray for downtown. You know, they're not downtown anymore. We're over in West End, and um, this is a weird transition for us. We have comfortable chairs, and most of us don't know how to handle that. You guys are seasoned veterans in the cushion. We're not. And, uh, and I know that sounds weird, but it's, it's different. And uh, different sometimes makes you stop and wonder what's going on. And that's good for us, but uh, it's also a good opportunity for, I think, our enemy to sneak in and begin to undermine what truth is. So pray for us. But last week, we answered the question, why? In Psalm 139, um, you don't have to turn there, but you can write that down and go look at it later. David says some really remarkable things. See, prayer... I don't know what you believe about prayer, but prayer is an invitation from God. When I pray, I am responding to a supernatural invitation by God to come into conversation with Him. In Revelations, uh, Jesus says to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever comes and answers the door, I will come in, and I will eat with him. I will be with him. I'll visit with him. So why is the Lord knocking on the door of the church? He is inviting us into conversation and communion with Him. So prayer is a response to this invitation from God. Another thing that's important to understand is in Romans chapter 8, we find something really remarkable. That when we come to the door of prayer and we're getting ready to walk into this room called prayer, there's already something going on on the other side of this door. In Romans chapter 8, it says that Jesus is continually before the throne of God interceding for me. That Jesus is before the throne of God. Behind this door of prayer, Jesus is praying for you. Well, if that's not enough, go down three more verses and you'll find that the Holy Spirit is also interceding for you. So when you hear this door knocking, you're being invited into something dynamic. You're being invited, the divine. And I know this is going to sound mysterious to many of you. The divine is inviting you into a divine conversation that is already going on. To step into the mystery of stepping behind this door. Now in Psalm 139, David exposes for us what's going to happen when I open this door. Why, why should I pray? We're stepping into the divine and this conversation. And in that room, there are things that are going to really change us and heal us in many ways. One of the things that David says is that you know me. Before I was even born, you knit me together. And he talks about how intimately God knows you and knows me. So behind that door is ultimate, infinite knowledge of me. Also what's behind that door is David goes on to talk about 
you know what's going on in my life. Your hand has come behind me, your hand has gone before me, and your hand is on me. So David said, not only do you know me, you know everything about what's happening in my life. And the third thing that David says in that psalm, which is remarkable, because then he just throws his hands up and he goes, okay, you know everything. You're omniscient. You're, you're not limited by your knowledge of anything. Everything falls into the, the vast pool of what you know. He says, if your thoughts could be counted, they'd be more than the sands on the sea. This is too much for me. That's what he says. He says, I can't take that in. I don't know. So what's behind this door? There's a divine conversation going on about you. What do I discover when I walk in that door? I discover me. I discover a new understanding of all that's going on around me, my life circumstances. And I also get invited into the divine of discovering the God who knows all things. Why do we pray? Uh, well, it heals me. It heals. If we had time this morning, we were talking about how is your image of you broken? It's so broken, it's broken in ways you don't even know it's broken. But I can promise you this, that everything you do in your life flows out of what you believe to be true about you. Everything. So why do we pray? Because we need to be healed. Our image of ourself needs to be healed. Our image of the world that I'm living in, my circumstances, my relationships, my job, the things that are being pressed on me and the things that are being given to me. I need to understand these things through a divine eye. But also, what's being healed is my understanding of God. And then David goes on, you can read this, and at the very end he says, Now search me, Lord, because when I step behind this door, now I want you to search me and see if there's any anxious ways in me. He brings healing to our emotions, too. Profound. And he just loves to reveal himself to us. I mean, it's funny. All of, all of this is a divine mystery that we're being invited into. Prayer is an invitation of the divine to understand what Peter calls our participation. So, what I want to talk about today briefly, and I want to challenge you because we're going to be talking about uh, what do we pray for the next seven weeks. But I want to ask you first, how do we pray? So go to Colossians chapter 4. <laughs> And uh, when somebody gets there uh, and feels like standing up and reading, then uh, give me a shout. Who would like to read for us this morning? Anybody? Any overachievers right now feeling a lot of pressure to do this? No? <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right, Colossians 4, uh, verse 2 through 6. Well, let's take a vote. Should he stand? All in favor, raise your hand. Do you want to stand? Sorry, you've been outvoted, man. The community has spoken. Thanks. Uh, do y'all want him to turn around? All right. Okay. Thank you. Yes, encourage. Encouragement. Wow. 
That was weak, man. They could have given you more encouragement than that. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to answer three questions today, okay? In the next 15 minutes, we're going we're gonna to fly through three questions. Those questions are, will you show up, will you believe, and will you receive? So let's unpack this. Paul, in this passage, in verse 2, he says there are three things that you need as a part of your prayer life. And let me just say this right now. that uh, Well, no, I'm not going to say that. The three things are that we need to be devoted, that we need to be watchful, and we need to be thankful. So let's talk about what, what does devoted mean. And I know that a lot of you have baggage with this kind of stuff. You know, maybe you come from a very legalistic uh, background and you feel like, oh, great, I thought you started this whole talk with Jesus accomplished everything and I don't have to pay anything more. But this devoted thing, isn't that paying more at the Ryman to get into a show that Jesus has already bought me a ticket for? Well, let me unpack that a little bit for you, if that's where you're coming from. You know, this word devoted actually uh, in Greek means courageously persistent courageously persistent and why does it why did Paul say that you need courage if you're going to approach this door of prayer I mean come on I mean we we all have prayed at dinner and you know we've all now I lay me down to sleep I mean what's dangerous about that what courage do you need Has your child ever said to you I'm so afraid to prayer to pray that prayer you know I need courage father the kind of prayer that we're talking about is going to take a lot of courage because the kind of prayer that we're talking about today is the prayer that takes us to our hearts. Now, track with me, okay? Because I want to tell you, and this may be unfamiliar to you because some of you are so used to not living in your heart that you're going to find it hard to believe what I'm about to say. And that is this. The land of my heart is an untamed place. It's full of love. It's full of fear. It's got disappointment. It's where I keep my pain. It's where I keep joy. And it is where Christ dwells within me. When I take the courage to say, I will come to my heart to pray, there are things that I'm going to discover about myself that if I choose not to believe them will be very dangerous for me. One of those things is if you dare to look inside your heart, you may discover that you are not the person that you want everybody in this room to believe that you are. You may come to realize that who you have tried so hard to project may not be the reality of what's really going on inside of you. And you may realize something that you all, we all laugh about it, that trust me, the person sitting next to you does not have it together as much as they want you to believe they have it together. And we all, okay, okay. They're really not that cool, all right? But here's a new revelation. You don't have it together as much as you would like to convince yourself that you have it together. And for you to look into that place, that's a terrifying proposition, isn't it? Have you ever had somebody that deeply loves you, but it's been a hard relationship, look at you and say, look at me? Have you ever had that experience? Where that you've just said, no, 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 don't turn around. Look at me right here. And lock into them and say, you need to hear what I'm saying. I love you. Have you ever had that experience and you find it hard to not look away? I mean, it goes to a place in us that, that well, I don't have to explain it. You know what I'm talking about. The heart of prayer is coming to the realization 
that in my own heart is a deep, suffocating, staggering hunger for my need for God. That existing within my heart is this deep, deep hunger that only God can fill. In fact, what I discover there is a deep, deep need that the Lord is fully aware of. It's funny because for us to come to that need, we have to come to the realization that I can't meet that need. That there's something that exists in me that I can't meet. And I dread those words in this culture. Don't you? I dread the words, I can't do it. I dread the words, help. That's actually words. I'm just seeing if y'all are still awake. I hate the word help. I do. And I want to say this just as boldly as I can. Uh, and I know that I'm going out on thin ice because I don't know a lot of you. But I'm, I'm going to say some of you have stunted your growth. Christianity has become a bore for you. And it's become something that has lost all of your interest because of your pride that you will not allow yourself to ask somebody else for help. Some of you have gone as far as you can go and you are stuck because you're so prideful that you won't go to someone that you see that's walking the road and say, will you take me with you? Will you mentor me? Will you teach me in the ways of the divine? Because I am stuck in the pain of my own heart. So why do we get stuck? How does pride pull that little trick on us to where we don't want to look at our heart and coming to this door, it, it's better for me to, to read, memorize childhood prayers than come to the, the place where I'm really coming to this door through my heart to discover me. Well, it's shame. My pride takes this thing called shame and begins to beat me over the head with it and say, you deserve this. Think about it. When we say to ourselves, I cannot fail, I will do it right. I will succeed. I will live up to every expectation. I will make the people around me proud. And what I'm really saying is not proud. I will make everybody around me amazed. I will prove to them that I am what I hope that I believe that I will become. Yeah. And what's amazing is when I allow shame and pride to begin to take over the untaming heart that God has given me, and it is under the illusion that it can tame my heart, it will turn what I love into what I hate. Let me explain. Listen to this. This is uh, Andre Agassi wrote a book uh, the, uh, that he called Open. Listen to what he says in his book. I play tennis for a living even though I hate tennis. Hate it with a dark and secret passion and always have. That's in his book. Have y'all heard that yet? Well, a famous tennis player and now a sports writer, Barry Cowan, writes this about it. I know this for myself. It's something you've done since you were six years old. And there's a sense that if you stop giving 100%, you are doomed to failure. And that is unacceptable. No wonder so many players hate their sport. The surprise is that so few admit it. When, when we have set ourselves up to, I cannot fail, I cannot not get to the place to where I don't know what to do, I cannot come to that place, then trust me, you will avoid your heart like the plague.
And when we do, and shame begins to take over, it takes what I think I should love like prayer, the breath of the new kingdom that we've been born into, and turns it into a duty that we despise and a thing that we shame ourselves with and say, I would be a better Christian if I just prayed. Yeah, I just, some people pray, I just don't pray, you know. I'll never be as good a Christian as those guys because they pray. And in reality, we're saying, I hate prayer. I hate it. I don't like it. I don't get it. I go to sleep when I'm in it. I don't know what to say. You know, it's boring. I so we come to this door and we say, behind that door is the discovery of myself. Behind that door is the discovery of having eyes to see every circumstance that's going on in my life. Behind that door is the invitation to step into the divine. And we reach for it and we stop. Why do we stop? Your, your heart is an untamed land. You know, uh, I was at Walmart the other day, and um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm a line poacher, you know? I like to stand back, and I like to get in full gaze of all the lines at Walmart over off Harding Road, and there's like 30 checkout aisles, including I count my items, you know, the 15 and less aisle, and I survey everything, and I'm going to poach the line that's got the shortest line. So I saw one with one person in it, and so I'm making a beeline for it because it is a wasted life that's spent in a line. <laughs> Trust me, I know. So I get behind this lady, and she's got kids crawling everywhere, and she's got a basket full of stuff, and I'm like, okay, she's, she's got most of her stuff. Yeah, I can calculate these things. She's got most of her stuff through the scanner already. There's only like three or four more items. And so I'm back there, I'm like, this is gold. Like, I, I don't have to be anywhere. It's just, this is success for me, all right? And so the lady looks at her and says, it's going to be, and she gives her the total. And uh, the lady just stands there. And the lady said it again. She goes, this is your total. And she's just standing there. And all the kids kind of stop playing, and, and they look up at her, and I'm like, lady, lady, you got to move. <laughs> Pull out a credit card or something. And she looks at her and she goes, I don't have that much money. So the lady behind the desk said, how much do you have? So she's pulling out all her money. And so they're, they're going through their bags and they're going, okay, we won't take that. And she gives it to one of her kids, go take that back. And then she's, we won't, okay, we won't take that. And I'm standing there in line and now there are people behind me and I, you know what I'm thinking? Uh, I'm not praying for her. I'm praying, dear God, don't ever let me be in that place. It was humiliating. I felt so bad for her. But what it revealed in me, I never want to be in a place of need. I never want to be in a place where my need is so evident that the people around me can see it. And yet, prayer is the language of the needy. Hmm. See, I live in a world that demands that I have it all together. Kids, school, bosses, spouses, friends. This is the demands of life. Get busy. Get work. you got to finish something. Get it accomplished. Run your errands. You know, do everything. It kills my heart. It kills my heart because it starts making me believe that my life is nothing more than what I can get done before I hit my head on the pillow. That what I'm worth is what I do. 
rather than who I am. Listen to C.S. Lewis. The moment you wake up in the morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, shorter, quieter life come flowing in. This takes courage. Are you with me? All right. Persistence. I love it. You know, when Jesus talked about prayer, he compared God to a crooked judge. Can you believe that? He says, prayer is like God is a crooked judge. And a widow who needs justice comes to the judge, and the judge says, I don't care about justice. I care about me. And so she keeps coming to him again and again and again and again and again, and he finally gives her whatever he wants, not because he loves justice, but because he got tired of her irritating him. This was Jesus' story. All right, if you didn't get that, he backs it up with this story. He compares God to a bad friend. In the middle of the night, you have guests show up at your house. You need bread. You don't have any. You go next door to your faithful buddy, and your buddy says, go away, I'm asleep. The buddy finally gets up and gives him the bread that he wants. Why? Not because he's a good friend, but because he got tired of the buddy irritating him. This is Jesus' story. So why would Jesus compare God the Father to a bad judge and a bad friend? I love it. You know, I just, his sense of humor just kills me. Because he's saying to us, we don't come to those things. If we are persistent, but we're persistent to the Father who loves us, what must that be like? Listen to, uh, this is uh, Frederick Bigner. I don't know if you know him, big fan. Listen to what he says. He says, be persistent, Jesus says. Not one assumes because you have to beat a path to God's door before he'll open it. Not because of that. But because until you beat the path, maybe there's no way to get to your door. Ravish my heart, John Dunn wrote. But God will not usually ravish. He will only court. Isn't this beautiful? That Jesus is coaxing us in to be persistent. That we have courage, but in our courage that we are constantly coming to this door and opening it up. Why? For us. That we would be courted and wooed. Our hearts would fall in love with the one that made our heart. Yeah, I can give you lots of examples, you know, I'm sure maybe you've heard some of them. You know, that Daniel prayed three times a day, and then the Psalms, David said he prayed seven times a day, and Jesus got up early in the morning, and, and Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, pray continually. So here's what I want to ask you. First question, answer this, and then the next two will be quick. Will you show up? Will you look at your heart and bring it to this door and open it? And will you do that? with great persistence. Will you? No, I really want you to answer that question to yourself right now. And I want you to be honest. Yes or no? Will you? And let me ask you this. Okay, if the answer in your mind is yes, then I want to ask you when. When are you going to do it? You decide. If the answer is no, which that, I can't even tell you how much it caused my heart to jump. If your answer is no, I'm not going to do that. 
are you willing to ask yourself, why am I saying no? <laughs> Welcome to that ride. That's a good one. Okay. Paul also says we need to be watchful. Will you believe? And all I want to tell you about this is God loves prayer. He loves when we pray. In Proverbs 15, verse 8, it says that the prayer of the upright is his delight. He loves it when we come to him with our needs and our delights. In Isaiah 64, it says, I will, come, I will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God delights himself in being the supernatural giver. And that is so unbelievable. When I was in uh, youth ministry, we decided we were going to have a fundraiser. Have any of you ever done a garage sale fundraiser? Not many of you. So let me give you a warning. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it, especially if, you, if somebody in your group has this idea, let's get the whole church to donate their stuff. Big mistake. So we did it, and it was a big church, and we had a warehouse storage facility full of stuff that people donated over three months. All right? We had to use an entire cafeteria of a high school to put all the stuff in there. And we're just like making money hand over fist. I mean, people are coming in. We had like furniture. I mean, clothes, oh, toys, like you wouldn't believe. Well, this is what you won't believe, is that it dawned on me about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we're not going to sell everything. That's going to be hard to believe, isn't it? And I looked at uh, some of my leaders, and I go, we don't have a truck big enough to haul all this stuff out of here. We, we really don't. Like, we are not going to be able to get rid of this. Where are we going to take this stuff? Because there was mounds of clothes. I mean, even though we'd reached our financial goal, and they came to me, and we were all powwow, and they said, what do we do? And I said, give it all away. From this point on, everybody that walks in the door, I want someone to greet them, shake them on the hand, and say, everything in here is free. <laughs> we did. What do you think happened? We did still have stuff left over, but not a lot. What do you think people said when we looked at them and said, free? What's the catch? Do I have to accept Jesus or something? We said, yes, you do. <clears throat> we had more conversions that day over old UVA sweatshirts than you can ever possibly imagine. People couldn't believe it. We had our leaders going around telling kids, hey, stick this in your pocket. Uh, you know, like, it was all free. And when, but when people started to catch on, hey, this really is free, you would not believe the frenzy. I mean, they were calling friends. People were coming with trucks. And we were, we were all high-fiving each other. Like, yes, take it all. Oh, yeah, that piece of furniture. Big screen TV, take it. You know, does it work? I don't know. Take it. What if God is that way? What if God says, I love it when you come and pray. I love being the giver. I love the one that meets your needs. I love hearing about what's in your heart. I love giving you the things that you don't even know that you need, that when you receive them, you are astounded. Do you believe that? That's my second question to you. Do you believe it? That there is a God in heaven that is delighted when you make time to come to the store. That when you open the door, the Trinity is going, they're here! Woo! They're here! All right! Can you believe that when Christ went to the cross, you were his delight? You were the joy that was set before him that would cause him to go through such suffering. You! 
Would you believe that? That now that you're on the other side of that cross and now you've been brought into the family and you've been redeemed and you've been made holy and you fit now with the divine. That we fit. We've been made to fit. That when we open the door, the divine is going, oh, okay, the party can start now. Yes, we have been waiting. Will you believe that? That's my second question, yes or no. If you say yes, okay, that has certain ramifications to it, doesn't it? If you say no, will you dare to journey while you say no? God can't be that good, can he? That's a journey worth going on. And then finally, my question is, Paul said, thankful. Will you receive? And this is all I have to say about this. I don't know what your prayer life is like. If you are not participating in the divine in your life of prayer and you are a believer, friends, you are suffering. You're suffering the loss of what God made you for. This invitation to the divine, many of you, if you're saying, that's just not my life. Right now, that mind that has protected your heart for so long from being seen may be giving you a thousand reasons why this, this sermon has no application for you. You don't understand. I've tried prayer before and it doesn't work. You're cynical. I've been burned by religion. Hey, just be happy I'm here this morning. You know, I don't know what you may be thinking. I'm tired. I don't have time. I don't know how. I'm angry with God. Why would I want to go through that door? Yeah, I've been through that door. It just doesn't work. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're hurting this morning in ways that nobody else knows that you're hurting. Maybe you feel like God has let you down. Maybe you're feeling like you have to answer no to everything I've asked you this morning. Here is what I want you to say. Thank you, dear God, for that. No, I'm serious. Whatever sin you may be struggling with this morning, no matter how socially acceptable or unsocially acceptable that sin may be, thank you, God, that I'm struggling with that sin. Because I want to bring you into a pre-doorknob conversation. Okay? Remember we said prayer is knocking? There is a divine conspiracy that's going on in your life right now. You can choose to turn your head away from it or you can look right into it. And that divine conspiracy is this. Everything that you've experienced up to this moment right now has given you everything you need to reach out and grab that doorknob. Everything. From your greatest victories to your greatest failures. From your greatest pain to your greatest joy. You have been set up. And the one who set you up is the one who loves you. That's why Paul says, be thankful in everything. Will you? Will you receive that everything that has happened to you to this moment is God's loving hand bringing you to a deeper realization of participation with the divine? Will you? Will you receive Okay, I'm through. Now the work is yours. I've made the mess, you cleaned it up. All right? That prayer is more than just lay me down to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. We are being invited into the divine. But let me tell you, if you're going to go there, it's going to take courage, persistence. It's going to take someone who's willing to believe and someone who is willing to see and say, thank you, God, for what's going on. We come devoted. We come watchful. And we also come thankful. 
So my question is you are simple. Will you show up? Will you believe? And will you receive? Will you? All right. I went long. I'm sorry. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you are the divine warrior. And you are fighting for our hearts. Like the great lover of our soul, you are luring us in and drawing us to this place where we can see you, but also to see ourselves. We just confess, I confess, Lord, that I need you more than, than I have the courage to even admit. That my friends here, Lord, we, we're weary of going to church. We're weary of sermons. We're weary of uh, just one more Sunday. What we need this morning is divine encounters that heal us and change us. So I pray my, for my friends today, Father, that, that they would believe that everything to this moment today has led to this moment for them to see you. That we would have the courage to bring our hearts to you and not worship you in vain. That we would have courage to believe that you are the extravagant Father that loves when your children come to you. And finally, Lord, that you are working in our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.